such a privilege uh, to be with you again this morning, for me to get to be your speaker this morning and talk about things that are so important, uh, which is what we are doing once again today. I uh, hope everybody is just uh, making it well through July. hope you're staying warm. Um, you may have noticed that uh, we've been cycling this summer, uh, we've been cycling a number of people from Kentucky uh, down through this area, and uh, I think I've figured out why. I think it's kind of like people are going on short-term mission trips down here, and uh, some of these parents want their kids to know what it's like, and to say, see, see how hot it could be? Uh, you could be living in that, right? And uh, people get in their cars, and their air conditioner is working, but the car is still not getting cool. What's the problem? It's just the heat. Um, so uh, today we have more visitors from Kentucky, and uh, uh, you may not, may not have gotten to, you didn't get to speak to them because they weren't here right when we started, but you know Martin and Sharon Mallory, that's, uh, Martin's my counselor from Kentucky, Olivia's counselor, and, and they're in town for a conference here, a missions conference, and uh, we're blessed to have them with us always. And uh, today also, and she's walked out now, but I'm going to go ahead and introduce her anyway, and you can meet her afterwards, is... Uh, a friend of mine, uh, Deanna Lynn, and her husband Matt are here with their two twin girls. Uh, Deanna, you know Brad Johnson. Well, Deanna is the director of operations for uh, The Word Is Out, the organization that Brad is the president of. And uh, Deanna kind of keeps everything running for that group. And they are in town today. Uh, Deanna is, they're taking a little vacation, but conjoined with that, Deanna is speaking at a uh, an event. She, she did speak at an event. Olivia and Lori attended it yesterday. Uh, it's a Refuge for Women event. Uh, Deanna does public speaking against uh, sex trafficking and those kind of things, and uh, so she was here doing that, and uh, maybe you get a chance to visit with them. We're glad y'all are here, Matt. So uh, we're going to be talking about sanctification, to use a big biblical word, a big theological term, about uh, sanctification. But I want to I over the next two or three sermons that I give, that's what we're going to focus on. I want to root that in, in really thinking about spiritual life, what it means to come alive and to be in, be in touch with, with things that are beyond human ability. And by, by the way, let me just tell you at the outset um, that all of the sermons that I plan to give this summer, um, including last week's sermon, I have planned well in advance. And uh, these... Uh, in light of our recent discussions and some disagreements around here, I don't want y'all to think I went home and got up a sermon and said, hey, I need to tell these people what the main thing is because they don't even understand it. That's not what happened. Um, and later this summer we'll be talking about legalism. I've had that planned well in advance, just so you know. Um, I don't want anybody to think I'm coming at you because we might have some disagreements about things. We, we are in agreement on these things that matter so much, and I hope that it will just benefit uh, all of us to talk about them together, talk about spiritual growth and spiritual life. So um, it's interesting that uh, you guys are here today, Martin and Sharon, um, because when uh, uh, two or three months ago, when I was in Kentucky, I tried to set up a meal with you guys and with, uh, with Steve Siemens, who was here also with, with them back in March. And it turns out nobody could make it but, but me and Steve. And uh, that worked out to be a good thing because I got to ask Steve some, some theological questions. I actually brought to him this book by 
Walter Marshall that I've come across, written a long time ago. Andrew Murray uh, is a guy I read a lot of, uh, and uh, he recommended Marshall's book. And so I was reading it, and basically I wanted to ask Steve, uh, is this guy right? <laughs> and uh, is it okay if I, if I believe this stuff? Because some really important things he's saying, and, and I don't even remember exactly which part of the book I went to to talk to Steve about it now, but uh, uh, he gave me some context for understanding it, and it's led us to have some ongoing conversations about this stuff, and it's been a real blessing in my life as I'm coming to a deeper understanding of how the Lord changes us and how the wor- Lord works in our lives, and it's helping me with some of my personal issues, and so that's the kind of thing I want to share with you coming out of, of those conversations over the coming two or three sermons. I uh, saw a meme. My brother sent me a meme this week. Winnie the Pooh. And he's sitting by a fire, looking up, smoke ascending, sitting on a log. And uh, the line at the top of the, the page says, as much, as much as Pooh missed Piglet, he really did enjoy that bacon sandwich. <laughs> and I thought about that um, as an illustration for what's happening sometimes in our attempt to grow in Christ. As much as we really, really want to be free from sin... We're still going for it. As much as we say we really want to be done with it, we're still doing it. What's the problem? Why aren't we seeing more progress in the Christian life? And you know that the the Bible does hold out for us a vision of something supernatural. Last week we talked about uh, Paul's statement in 2 Corinthians where he says that we're transformed by beholding the Lord from one degree of glory to another. He even ties this, this transformation, this, this change in the human person to, to his own Damascus Road experience, like the bright light of Christ shining. And that's what Christ does. He shines on human hearts. And we can look at examples, at example after example about those kind of things in the New Testament where, where the writers call us to think about a life that's really from above, a supernatural kind of life. Here's just one example from the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians today. This is earlier than, than chapter 3 that Noah quoted so well for us. Here Paul prays that we would know God's incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Now is that what we're in for in the Christian life? Is that what we think we're about? When we sign up and say, hey, I want to walk with Jesus... Do we say, I want the power that God showed, that God exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead? Because this is the teaching of the New Testament. It's an offer to enter into something supernatural. Here's what a well-known Christian psychologist, counselor, whatever you call him, says about this, David Benner. The language of transformation is too optimistic for psychology. 
At one time, psychotherapists dared to use the bold language of cure. With more modesty, most now speak of aiding growth. Some simply think in terms of helping adjustments and coping. Now, is that the best we can do? And when we sign up to walk with Jesus, do we think we're signing up for something basically that you could get with some good counseling, some good psychotherapy, and that's about as far as you can get? And furthermore, is that our experience? And do we think we probably would be just as well off, maybe a little bit better, if instead of being in church and in the Word and in spiritual disciplines, if we just had somebody to help us think a little bit better about ourselves? Is that what we re- think about what we really think, right? Not just what we say in church because we know it's right, but what do we really think? Now, that's what we really think. We don't think what the New Testament thought. We don't think what the, the writers of the New Testament point us to. We're pointed to something more than that. We're, called, we're pointed to something that's supernatural. And here's my concern. And we read those words, and we do one of two things a lot of times, I'm afraid. One is we, we just sort of dismiss them. Or we say they're all metaphors. The mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead. Yeah, that means I can be a little bit better. And I should be a little bit nicer to my wife. Because the mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead is real. That's what we do with it. On the other hand, I'm afraid that some of us, and this is maybe my problem where I'm growing uh, still now, some of us, we set out and we say, yes, we believe that and we want that. And we, pers- we begin to pursue a supernatural life, but we're doing it in the wrong way. We're pursuing a supernatural life by natural means. We're seeking to be made whole in the Spirit according to the flesh sometimes. And we think God has made us right by His mighty power. God has justified us. God has, God has said He's okay with us now. He's going to take us to heaven one day. And that is His great grace and His power. But from here on out, it's basically kind of up to me. Yeah, I know the Holy Spirit's supposed to be with me in some way, but it's kind of my stuff. So I think I just need, I need a counselor like Martin. And that would probably be all I can do. But if that's the case, according to this Christian counselor, we're not going to get anywhere close to what the New Testament points us to. The way Walter Marshall puts it in the book I just showed you, he addresses this kind of idea. He says, some endeavor to reform their old state and to be made perfect in the flesh instead of putting it off and walking according to the new state in Christ. They trust on low carnal things for holiness and upon the acts of their own will, their purposes, resolutions, and endeavors instead of Christ. And they trust Christ to help them in this carnal way. So the idea is we we set out to be better and we then focus in on our wills. And we say, oh, if I just get this thought right, if I just get this purpose right, if I just resolve right, then I'll do it. And then Jesus, come and help me with that. 
But we put ourselves in the center and we start trusting Christ in a carnal way. Rather than trusting him by the power of his grace to do the great work that he does. Now, this may not all make practical sense yet. I hope today and in the subsequent sermon I'm going to give on this to make more sense of this. But just stay with it for, for now and follow through. We want to trust Christ fully. Salvation is by trusting Christ. Not just at the very beginning, but ongoing to the very end. And what we have to learn is how to trust Christ all the way through. That's what I'm still learning today. As we trust Christ, that's where we find supernatural life. So I want to tell you over the next two or three sermons a couple of things that we need to know for supernatural life. And this one may seem obvious, it may seem trite, but I want us to enter it deeply. The first thing we need to know is the love of God. And that's the scripture that we memorized last year that Noah said for us earlier uh, today. We have to know the love of God, not just because knowing the love of God is a nice thing to know. Right? Because I'm talking today not about feeling better. I'm talking today about sanctification. I'm talking about spiritual life, life from above. What I'm saying to you is that if we don't know this, we don't get there. we got to know this if we're going to live with God, the kind of life that comes from above. This knowledge that comes to us is not just for our comfort, but it's a part of a package deal. It's for our salvation from sin. It's for our deliverance from sin. And we need to know deeply the love of God. That's what this beautiful passage is about. I'm going to put it up here for you and walk through it. For this reason, Paul prays, I kneel before the Father. Now, just one second on this. Kneeling, we think first of all about prayer, but that's not exactly what this communicates here. Um, Paul knows how to say, for this reason I pray for you. He's already done that in the book of Ephesians earlier. I pray this. Kneeling communicates, that, that's not even the primary prayer posture for a Jewish person at that time. It was standing. Kneeling is communicating something more. Yeah, you can pray with kneeling, but it's communicating more than that. It's a posture of recognition of a superior. It's a posture of submission. And Paul is here in, in a dramatic way. He's, he's claiming this moment here at this turning point in the epistle to the Ephesians as he, he's going to move on in chapter 4 to, to talk about, maybe if you want to separate it between the, the doctrinal and the, the ethical, if you want to sort of put a simple distinction there, he's going to transition here. And right here at this climatic moment in, in Ephesians chapter 3, he talks about dropping to his knees before God, recognizing God's place as the greatest one. And, and specifically, he, he names him as the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. This Father who has marked the whole world, every social group uh, in the world derives its name from this Father. He's over everything. And Paul kneels before him. And from this posture, he makes requests. What's he going to ask for at this climactic moment? He asks for strength. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit and your inner being. May I say to you that Christians are made for powerful things. You know, power, the very idea of power, that uh, it communicates the ability to do something. That's what power does. 
My friend Seth is sort of a power lifter. Did strongman competitions at least. Mm. I have to tell you that it's been a little bit disappointing to me now that Seth and Lindsay are here at this church. I have to admit I'm now the, the second strongest man in our church. I hate to say it, but I've got to be humble. Um, imagine somebody who's a power lifter but can't actually lift anything. Imagine if Seth doesn't want to help you move because he said that I can't pick up the boxes. <laughs> What's the point of saying you're a power lifter if you can't lift anything, right? Christians are called to power. That means we have the ability to do things. We're called for, for accomplishing things for the Lord. And Paul prays, first of all here, that we'll have power by the Spirit. Now, there's a little bit of a translation issue here, and I don't want to get into the details here and hang us up. But let me just say this. We don't want to separate the power we're called to from the person. Because right here they come together. And it's we have this power in Christ, and Christ dwells in our hearts through faith. This settling down of Christ within us. Do you know that even if we already have Christ as Christians, we can have more of Christ. And we want more of Christ. We don't understand all the mechanics of this, all the metaphysics of this. We don't have to. The point is that by the Spirit of God, Christ is present with us. More awareness of his presence, more awareness of his love, more awareness of his goodness, more reflection of that coming from within us to others. Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. This power in this person is what we receive. That's what Paul prays for. And then he gets to the central idea that we're talking about today. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love. Roots are things that hold things down, right? Hold trees down. It's hard to uproot Man, it's hard to pull a strong weed up. Imagine pulling up a tree whose roots go down deep. Rooted and established, here more of an architectural idea, like a foundation for a house being built. We're talking about things that are grounding, right? We're talking about what's at the bottom, not what's at the top. This is what's meant to be established, holding us firm at the outset. When this is in place, then everything else is in place. You can't live in a house that gets blown over every time the wind picks up. A tree is not going to make it very long. If its roots don't go down pretty deep, it's not going to grow up. Let me ask you this. What, what's at the bottom of your Christian walk? What is the foundation that's there? that you build up from. And is it possible that some of us are trying to grow up like a tree to the sky and our roots still haven't gone down very deep into the ground? And I want to say to you, if that's our approach, that's not a workable approach to Christian growth. When our roots go down deep, here's what it is, be rooted and grounded in love. When our roots grow, grow down deep, they don't eventually run up against our own efforts, our resolutions, even our sincere repentance. 
Those are all good things in their place. But what our roots are meant to go down deep into, to hold us firm, is the love of God. That is the place where we're to draw nourishment and strength to then grow out from there. And I pray that you'll have the power, not just you, but you join with what all the Lord's holy people, all the saints are supposed to know this. This is the knowledge everybody's supposed to have. You'll have the power to know and to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Now, this language here, it's, it's uh, just expansive. It's, it's kind of poetic. Paul's talking about something. Let me just read the rest of it. And, and I pray that you'll know this love that surpasses knowledge. I, I, that's a, a very beautiful phrase there. It, it's knowing something that's, that's ultimately unknowable. Whether you say it's not naturally knowable, that's one way to understand it, but by the supernatural power of God, you can know it. Or whether you say this is something that you can know in one sense, but you'll never really know it because it's so great. Or maybe it's both of those ideas combined together. We're dealing with something that's really beyond natural human comprehension when we talk about the love of God. And Paul looks at it and he says, it's, it's so wide and high and long and deep. He's talking like somebody who, who doesn't know how to describe something. Do you ever have something that, that you're trying to talk about? It, it's so great, you, you don't know how to describe it? I have a degree in cell and molecular biology. And I like to tell my friends that... Uh, I really can't describe to you all that I know about cells and molecules. They're all over this place. Cells and molecules. The truth is I really don't have a clue what I'm talking about. I just got through my undergraduate work at Louisiana Tech. And so that's my way of just saying, I, I, don't, I don't know. I wasted my time in college. <laughs> I can't talk about that because I just don't have any understanding. Truly, you, you guys in eighth grade biology, you probably know more than I do about cells and molecules, right? But there are some things, you see, that we can't describe, not because we're so ignorant and we're so unlearned, but just because they're too great for knowledge. And Paul talks about, about this. It's, it's almost like he's got a telescope before there are telescopes, and he's looking out at the, the galaxy. And he's saying, look, guys, you can't imagine how far it goes. Or it's like he's seen the ocean and nobody else has seen it. He's been out exploring it and he's learned that it's too deep for humans to explore. It's too wide and long. You, just, you can't get it. This is how he's talking about the love of God. It's beyond our ability to grasp it. This is God's love. Yes, it's a wonderful thing. Sydney told me about a, a meme that she saw recently about Superman. She just told me this yesterday. And it said something like, Superman is the only person in the world who's basically invincible. He can survive in outer space. Nothing can hurt him. And yet, he won't help any of us with exploration of the galaxy or of the ocean or anything like that. I didn't say it very well, but you get the idea. The, the universe, the galaxies, they're so huge. The ocean, we know intuitively it's meant to be explored. It's so great, we can't grasp it, but we can begin exploring it, right? When we're called to see the love of God in this way, we're, we're called to step into it and say, 
where does this go? How great is this? What more can we learn about this? It's beyond our ability, but we're going to step into it and learn more about it. I don't know that uh, it's ever been said better than the words of the well-known hymn. Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill? A pen. And every man a scribe by trade. To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole. Though stretched from sky to sky. That's something like what Paul's trying to say. You can't grasp how wide and long and high and deep the love of God is. What's, what's even more impressive about that song, initially I heard this as someone said that uh, it was written, that line was written by a man in an insane asylum. Uh, actually, that's not true from what I found online. It was copied by this man. He didn't come up with it, but he did scrawl it, scribble it on the wall, and they found it after he died in an insane asylum. He, he, he had scribbled that line on the wall there. And the preacher I heard share that years ago, he said it's as if to say that the love of God can reach even in here. We really have no idea how far the love of God will go. We've not even come close to exploring the boundaries, the extent of the love of God. You can't keep him out of insane asylums. You can't keep him out of prisons. You can't keep him out of orphans' homes. You can't keep the love of God out of communist countries. You can't keep the love of God out of the Middle East. You can't keep the love of God out of concentration camps. You can't keep the love of God out of anywhere because it's just going to go in ways that are mysterious, in ways that are beyond our comprehension. The love of God is going to be going and going and going. We're going to be coming to understand it more and more and more throughout our lives and throughout eternity. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen could ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hill. Corey Timboom, who had the experience to speak to this kind of thing from her own experience in concentration camp, said these famous words, There is no pit so deep that Jesus Christ is not deeper still. We're not yet done learning the limits of the love of God. And we're called in Christ to step further and further into those. And you see, it's as we, uh, as we learn this love. You see, to follow the reasoning here. Right? It's as we learn this love that we're filled to the measure of the fullness of God. That's sanctification. That's being made holy. That's being like Jesus. In him, the fullness of the Godhead was pleased to dwell you see, you see how that follows, though? It's as we're grounded and rooted in God's love that we're filled with the presence of God. 
and our life reflects God's heart to the world around us. This is the progress of sanctification. It's no wonder then that Paul closes with these words when he says something like that. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Like, it's not just what we ask. We need to ask God for more. But the truth is we cannot ask, ask God for enough because we can't yet imagine what God will do. So he does more than we can imagine. And he's going to do more than we can imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all, all generations forever and ever. So here's why I want to finish up talking to you about supernatural life. What happens if in seeking to live holy lives, we miss the starting line? What happens if in seeking to grow, we aren't yet grounded and nourished in the kind of things that are meant to be the foundation from which we grow? And could this be the source of some of our frustration in seeking spiritual life? So I'll tell you what I'm trying to learn at this point in my life. I'm trying to learn to have a resting faith before I have a seeking faith. Now, seeking faith is good. But a resting faith will make that seeking look different. And I'm afraid I've spent a lot of time in my life with a seeking faith that doesn't know how to rest. And this is responsible for my OCD-type issues, my obsession with trying to fix things and do better. And it's not that I haven't trusted Christ, but I may not have trusted him quite in the right way or to the extent that I'm invited to. To rest in him and go forward from that place of rest. I read a little book recently by Watchman Nee, famous Chinese minister, evangelist. And uh, it's, his book is called Sit, Walk, Stand. And he says, we are saved by reposing in the Lord Jesus. And I've just been thinking about that. We are saved by resting in the Lord Jesus. It's not that we don't change. uh, Everything I'm saying to you is about change here. That's where we're going with these sermons. But it's about getting the order right, getting the foundation right, so that change happens in the right way. We don't first clean ourselves up. First get all our ducks in a row. First say, yeah, now I think I'm about well enough to present myself to God. What we first do is rest in this love that we cannot comprehend. That goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. We rest in that love first. And then we seek to be obedient from that place. This will lead us to putting away sin. It will also lead us to be patient with ourselves. And also lead us to knowing that perfection does not come immediately. And we have to distinguish 
somewhat between different kinds of sin. You know, there are some things that happen right when you know Christ. Some things should stop. And some things we're able to stop. I read somebody who said that uh, we don't grow each year in committing fewer bank robberies. <laughs> right? That's the kind of sin we can stop immediately when we know Christ. But there are other things. As we know Christ, we'll go deep in ourselves and we'll say, man, that's rooted. That's tied to me. We're dealing with pride or jealousy or anger or things like that. And we'll say, it's going to take some time for the Lord to heal up and help me in these ways. And we're patient with ourselves in light of his great mercy. The critical point is that we face these and every other challenge in our settled identity as God's beloved children who know he is for us and not against us. He has decided that he will never condemn us and that he wants to help us not apart from him. He doesn't want us to seek our own help and then come to him, but he wants us to rest back in him and receive his help. I started with these two guys, David Benner. I'm going to close with them as well. He said, my own struggles to become more loving have been the most discouraging aspect of my Christian spiritual journey. But as I have begun to learn to come back through the cross to the extravagant love of God for me, slowly my hard heart is beginning to thaw. Meditating on God's love has done more to increase my love than decades of effort to try to be more loving. You see that? What if this is the route to real transformation? It's by just getting to know the love that God has for us. And letting that overflow into everything else. This is a longer quote, but it's, it's good, so please, please listen to it as I close. Walter Marshall says, God's Spirit is more plentifully poured forth under the gospel, yet he is as forward as ever to bear with the failings of his weak saints that desire to obey him sincerely. We are to beware of being too rigorous in exacting righteousness of ourselves and others, beyond the measure of faith and grace. Overdoing commonly proves our undoing, we should be content to do the best that we can according to the measure of the gift of Christ, though we know that others are unable to do much better. And we are not to despise the day of small things, but to praise God that he works in us anything that is well-pleasing in his sight. I want to encourage you today, don't despise the day of small things. Don't become so impatient with yourself that you can't see what God has already done and is doing in your life. And as you rest in that love that he has for you, then seek him and go forward from there. I gave a sermon years ago, and uh, my uncle came up to me afterwards. And I guess I, you know, I wasn't preaching the kind of things he thought I should be preaching. And he said, um, don't leave the fear out. And I talked to him about that a little bit, asked him if he would want his sons. Of course, I believe there is a place for the fear of God. Don't get me wrong. You know, and when people are living in rebellion, high-handed rejection of God, there's a, there's a message for them to hear. Uh, but uh, I asked him, would you want your sons? Is that what you want, ultimately, for your sons? To live in that kind of fear of you? See, that fear will not take you too far into holiness. It might jumpstart you, it might wake you up, but it won't take you into the kind of love that we all know is good in relationships. And we are in more danger in the church with people of sincere hearts. We're in more danger of leaving the love out 
than of leaving the fear out. Because it's love that will ultimately drive us to the place that God wants us to be. It's love that will carry us to the place that God wants us to be. It's love that will set us free to serve the Lord, knowing that we know something that we cannot really know. We have seen something that's really beyond our ability to see the whole thing, but we have, we have started in on this thing where we are loved by God. You are the beloved children of God. I am a beloved child of God. And from there, that supernatural knowledge will lead and guide us into supernatural life. I want to leave it with you. Praise team, would you guys come on up? And I'll close this in prayer. Lord, we really do need to know these things. Would you come and teach us? And would you give us an experience of your love? Those who are dry and thirsty here, would you awaken them with just a taste of that love that points to much richer and fuller things, points to a lifetime of learning and receiving more of your love? Would you let us know it, Lord? Awaken us and refresh us. Get us back on track by your love and let us have this as the roots that go down. Let us have this as the foundation of the house that you're building. And then may we be built up in your love, Lord, to seek and obey you in all things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.